Hi, and welcome to Thought Bubble. My name's Scott Millward. Here, I'll be talking to thought leaders from various industries, sharing their insight into their area of expertise and creating a thought bubble around the topics that matter. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast today. We've got Lewis Kemp recording with us. Uh, welcome, Lewis. Hi, everybody. Thanks uh, for having me, Scott. No problem. Uh, Lewis is CEO of Lightbulb Media, a marketing agency based up in Manchester. Looking forward to discussing Lewis's journey, how the agency is going, what he's up to at the moment. So yeah, thank you for coming onto the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. So we're actually recording this podcast today in Manchester in the NatWest. The Entrepreneur Accelerator. Entrepreneur Accelerator. Scheme. Scheme building. (laughs) <laughs> and it's very cool. It's a very cool place for anyone who is thinking about starting up on their own, getting a little team together. From what I've seen, it's a great environment. Lewis, do you want to sort of like jump into sort of how you've got going with, with Lightbulb Media, how it's all going? It seems like there's so much support here. Just I think it would be really valuable for people listening. Yeah, it's been fantastic to be fair, because when obviously I first started the agency, it was just me. So I could essentially work from home and kind of work to my own hours but then I realized that if I wanted to be around those kind of clients that I wanted I needed to be in a central space like Manchester so obviously you've got the bigger places like we work which we were for a little bit and then I actually saw a post on LinkedIn that said why don't you join the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator so I came did the interview and then came on board and was just a bit intrigued to what it's all about really and it's honestly been transformational for the business so you come in and you get resources uh, you get allocated a coach who holds you accountable you have monthly meetings with them they make sure that you're setting targets hitting targets they also host events on different aspects of the business which are really really important like infrastructure building teams marketing and they also have a massive range of uh, partners such as Hiscox Deloitte Vincent Masons essentially all the things that would cost a startup business money that you don't really think about but are really necessary in the early days so it's been a massive massive help for us especially the community element yeah and I think that as someone who has been through startup land and been through that route, I had something like this, but it was not on the scale at all of this in, in terms of the level of support. I mean, we've, we've walked in here today, you're speaking to people which are going through funding, people that, you know, solicitors, accountants, yeah. all the different people that you will need to help you when setting up a business. You know, you're a marketer, you're not an accountant or a solicitor or a you know, an IP expert or whatever you might require when you get set, getting set up the first couple of years in your business, they seem to be to be here for you. Definitely, yeah. It's uh, the community element of it has been probably the best thing because there there's around eighty five businesses on it, I think, at the minute. So if you do need a little bit of funding advice and you haven't really got time to wait for Deloitte to answer you, there will be a cash flow expert that's sat next to you. There's a well being practitioner if you're feeling a little bit down one day. If you need to turn around and you need a bit of a release. There's someone who runs a wine tasting club. There's a, such a wide range of businesses here. There, there will always be someone to help you and someone to kind of contribute if you need someone to look at your business or look at a problem in a different way. So that's been the most useful thing for us, actually developing that community of like-minded professionals at the same stage of growth within Manchester. Yeah, without question. I think that if you have that level of support around you, it just makes you feel like you're actually doing it. I know personally when I started out, it started out in in my bedroom, obviously, with a laptop, and then it moved to the dining room table. And then I thought, right, I'm getting a bit too big for this, and I actually want to get out the house. Yeah. 
and separate, you know, um, home life from from work life and getting into an incubator environment like this. It just sort of legitimizes what you're doing for yourself a bit more, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, and also when you're meeting clients and you're meeting, you know, potential candidates or people that are working with you, it just gives you a bit more confidence. Definitely. It's all it's all about that self-confidence, because when you are locked away in your own bedroom and you're really quick to criticize yourself. But when it comes to actually praising yourself, you don't really do that. I mean, that, that might just be me personally, but I know a lot of people say they suffer from imposter syndrome. Whereas if you're constantly sat around people that are supporting you, that are saying, oh, my God, like, you've done really well this week or I saw that thing that you put out and it was amazing. Sometimes you do just need that little bit of validation that that community gives you. And it is a kind of self-serving kind of well-being group, I suppose, and a, and a therapy session for people. When you just want to rant, you can't rant to your friends and family about it because they're just they're just yes men, really. Yeah, and they're the wrong people, aren't they? Yeah. You know, um, when you're starting up a new venture or a business, your friends and family know you for what you've done previously, yeah. not for what you're about to do. Whereas people that are going to support you in your business and your business career are going to recognize what talents you have and what you potentially can do in the future rather than what you've done previously. And I think that that's the sort of environment that these places provide. I mean, I've walked in here today and we're sat having a chat with a mental health expert talking to accountants you know it's just a, a very positive environment yeah and I, and I think from the professional side of things that NatWest are really good at if you go in with a very clear vision about what you want to achieve from this program and you say right I need funding and I can only do equity or loan funding they will open doors and put you well they won't put you in front of people and give you everything on a plate what they will do is challenge you to create a 60 second pitch or a three minute presentation or a pitch deck and then just open that door, but you've still got to walk through it yourself. They will give you the opportunity, put you in front of the right people, and then it's down to you to kind of hold yourself accountable and make the most of that opportunity, which a lot of businesses have done. And I've seen plenty that have secured millions of pounds in funding over the past kind of eight months that we've been in now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I think that's what these incubator schemes are for. I mean, I was at a fintech event last week, um, heard from um, Barclays Eagle Labs, which yeah. I think they've got 40 or 50 around the country now. Mm. Um, I think NatWest is, you know, is pretty large. I mean, it's 20 or 30, I think, something like that. The fact that these are growing at the scale that they are does really promote that entrepreneurial aspects and also from the bank's perspective if they can get a number of different businesses off the off the ground you're going to be taking your overdraft facilities your loan functions your current accounts and all this sort of thing that you're going to need you're going to take it from your incubator scheme and the banks are going to profit from this in the long run so it's just a really positive thing so lewis we've known each other what about a year and a half now something yeah. like that um, so myself and Lewis actually got introduced because I saw some of Lewis's fairly controversial um, views <laughs> on a number of different marketing topics. And I thought Lewis was a bit of a straight shooter and he seemed to <laughs> say what he thought. That's a nice which I, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he seemed to say what he thought. I was uh, head of marketing for a life insurance business and I needed some support. Um, so I reached out to Lewis and Lewis came in and gave a little pitch. Um, it didn't work out that we went and worked with Lewis, but um, I could see the potential in light bulb and also in, in what Lewis was trying to do. Yeah. And it seems like since about a year, year and a half ago, when you pitched um, to myself, things have moved on a lot for you. Yeah, definitely. So in the early stages, we were quite fortunate when I set it up because the clients that I had in a previous agency, uh, a lot of those came with me. So I was never in that kind of scrambling around looking for clients phase of that many startups go through. So that was really fortunate. But from there, it has all kind of grown organically. We've never spent a pound in paid advertising. All our work comes through inbound, comes from referrals, comes from content marketing, comes from personal branding, which is a nice position for a marketing agency to be because if we were any good at marketing, we wouldn't have to do sales. 
100%. Yeah, I mean, if if you're a marketing agency to win new clients, you want them inbound because that validates that you know how to market a business. Exactly. You market a business correctly, you don't need to sell it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, been, it's been a good transition, though, because like you say, we, we target SMEs, which I know is a broad thing because an SME is anyone from kind of two to 250 people. Yeah. But obviously at the start, when you're finding your feet, you really want to help these businesses out at the, the smaller end because they can really appreciate the value of it. Yeah. But it's just really kind of flattering to get to that stage now where you're kind of working with businesses that are global brands like the, the Marriott's and we did the video for a, a body power as well, which is a really cool thing to do. So yeah, when you're yeah. getting brands like that approaching you, I think that's just a bit of a pat on the head to say, actually, what, what you're doing is working. It's, re- it's really good and you can help more than just kind of your everyday SME around the corner. And that I should think a little bit bigger about what we can do. Yeah. And I think that, like you say, just getting that validation that bigger size brands want to work with you. After seeing what you've done, you know, as a marketing director, looking at working with certain agencies, a lot of what you see is case studies. We did this. We worked with this client, blah, blah, blah. I know there is a lot of smoke and mirrors with that. You know, we worked with Coca-Cola, but it was actually a a 10 second video four (laughs) years ago. Um, It's not, you know, a monthly retained big client. How do you go about getting off the ground when, you know, you haven't got any clients, you haven't got any referrals, you've just got your talent and maybe you've got personal recommendations and whatever and you're just what you want to get into it yeah i I think that's really important because at at the start we were very guilty of over servicing i suppose just for our own benefit to show that we're actually good at what we can do but it's about gaining that confidence in in your own work and not devaluing it it's very very easy especially at the start to take on any work because it's just work but then you you can only really learn through experience that the clients that come on that will try and discount you down that you do end up taking on board end up being the most work and you actually start resenting it so long term yeah it might be money in your pocket but long term for your mental health it's not they're not the clients that you want and it's about getting to that stage where you can be fortunate enough to pick and choose who you want to work with we're not industry specific we're client specific where if we sit there you could be paying us all the money in the world but if that director of that company has the total wrong attitude to digital marketing it's not going to be a harmonious relationship and we'll just end up arguing so i would rather just nip it in the bud and say you're not you're not for us you don't match what we want to do we don't want to take clients on just to get money through the door we now want to take clients on that will help us grow so we need clients that are in that same mindset of yes we can handle success and we can we can actually scale at the same pace that you can well i think that it it starts off i mean if if the client is saying what are we going to get what's the roi before you've even planned anything or done anything it it doesn't really work and it's trying to sort of notice that early doors and when you get to the attitude of you should want to work for me and it's you know i'm not sat at the bottom of the table begging you um, for this contract which you know you don't know if you want you know that you want the revenue but do you want a client that's going to be a disaster and they're not going to get anything from it and you're not going to get anything from it yeah i think it's unfortunate in the arena that we work in in marketing is that there are a lot of bullshit merchants out there and that is why these clients it's not their fault it's a perfectly natural question to ask what roi am i going to get because a lot of people will just pull a figure out their ass and say i'll get you five i'll get you ten i'll get you twenty just to get a client through the door when in reality in a lot of the cases if you've got no data to work off you cannot pull those figures out of thin air if you've got tangible data to work off yes you can make estimations but from day one with no data no marketing you cannot say i will guarantee you 10x on whatever we're going to do it it it's a lie. It's a straight up lie. I always like the people that come in and say, I will guarantee you no new clients or no leads in the first month. I'm like, you're fantastic. Yeah. You must be good. Yeah. Because being open and honest about those things early doors actually sets realistic expectations and it actually sets up the relationship that your perspective on how things are going to go from day one are realistic. When people sound like they're going to transform your business from day one, that's not the reality in marketing, in finance, in whatever aspect of your business. It's not reality. So when someone comes in, manages expectations but talks credibly and knows what they're doing I think that's what people need 
Yeah, I think it, I think that's the key. It's being transparent and honest. When we were doing the kind of market research of it and speaking to people who've used agencies before, agency seems to be a dirty word now because the main pain points were too expensive, I'm tied in for too long, and you promised me the world and not delivered. So what we wanted to do is flip it on its head where no matter if you're Mark the plumber or you're Marriott Hotels, you start off on the starter package we mm-hmm. prove concepts, we prove that what we do works, you then begin to trust us and then we scale relatively to your business so that we will never make more money unless you do. And it really takes the pressure off it because you are being open and honest and you, are, you have got to have those conversations where you're saying, month one, you're probably going to lose money. You really are because if you're finding your feet, you're trying to get the data under your belt so you can actually make those scalable kind of decisions based off information rather than just sticking your finger in the air and going, well, I think this is our target market and I think this is what we might get because that is what gets clients' hopes up and then you're constantly disappointing them, which is not the position you want to be in. You want to be constantly kind of under-promising and over-delivering. Yeah, without question. I think, like I said, agencies being given a bit of a dirty word the last number of years, like you said, with over-promising, under-delivering. And I think that's because they've been built up that they'll come in and transform your business. Um, I don't think any agency would promise, you know, that that is actually the reality of what they do. And what they do is understand your business, then implement plans and actions and a three, six month transformation project. And they try and deliver that. Um, They don't try and deliver everything day one. So I think that it's just managing expectations and also, yeah, just actually working with a client on a level. So like you said, if you're working with a, a small organization saying, look, this is how much we're looking to do. This is what the expectations are. This is how much we want from you. Are you comfortable? Yes, let's work together and just manage those expectations from the get-go. That's when you're going to have a good relationship with the client and you can grow together and sort of share in that success. I mean, we've seen that at MBA in terms of when we partner with organizations, we even do things like profit sharing when we hit certain targets and, you know, giving back on a number of different areas because we share in the success of the client. We make more money when you have more positive results and fix more issues. So our goals are aligned with you which is, I think, what you're saying as well. You want to grow with your clients and go, you know, Lewis and Lightbulb were amazing. We've grown this. We've got this many sales, blah, blah, blah. And it just could be completely aligned together. Yeah, it's being mutually incentivized, I think, on both sides. And you do find with a smaller business when they're actually putting their own personal money into it, that when it does really go well, the appreciation you get from that, because that is kind of their, their livelihood. And when they start seeing the graphs go up and you're getting two, three, 400% returns, for them, it's absolutely fantastic because they, they can go out and hire another team member and develop the business. And you can really get involved on a, on a kind of ground level in their business, learn their industry and be part of that journey with them, which is a really exciting thing that every day you can be part of someone else's business in another industry, which that's what keeps things exciting which is why I've never really want to niche off into anything and kind of pigeonhole myself into these are the only people I deal with because it's boring, especially when you're creating content. You can only talk about one thing. There's only so many ways you can offend someone on a certain topic. <laughs> I, I beg to differ. I, I think I've offended people on many levels. Um, so in terms of what you do, Lewis, I mean, a lot of marketing agencies are very different in terms of what they deliver. What is it specifically that you deliver for clients? So our bread and butter, there's kind of two sides to the businesses for what we do. Uh, so we have the retainer side, which is the digital strategy, social media management, and then the paid advertising, which is both paid social and PPC uh, on Google. That is the retainer side, and it's pretty much the bread and butter of what most clients want. And then there's also the project side, which is the content creation side, which can be the copywriting or it can be visual content as well with graphic design videos, animations, and web design as well. So what we do is we allow clients to come in and cherry pick what they want. Like we said before, the pain point of being tied into having stuff that you don't need. 
If they just want a video, fine. If they just want a three-month kind of campaign, fine. We let them cherry-pick it, tell us what they need. They create a bespoke package, and then we deliver on that package, set very, very clear targets and KPIs, and obviously try and try and exceed those. Yeah, I think that just aligning that from day one makes a lot of sense to me. And like you said, that's a lot of what people want. And you said you you structured the agency in terms of um, you do have some employees, but you also have certain things that you outsource so that you're not paying for them yeah. when you know you're not using them. Definitely. Um, what's your advice to other people that have you know employed too many people or they you know should you employ in-house x y and z what capabilities you need from day one what you can outsource that sort of stuff my advice would be don't get trapped in on hustle culture and trying to show people that you're kind of growing faster than you are because that is the quickest way to bankruptcy and especially in digital it's really really prevalent that people are always shouting about how great they're doing and how they're, they're onboarding 20 new clients a week and we're going on a trip to marbella and it's all bullshit and people can see through it People would just prefer it if you're open and honest because it makes absolutely no business sense for me to go out and pay 15 grand a month or something for some mad fancy office with fucking goats running around it. What's the point? What's it achieving? Who's it for? It's yeah. just for my ego. Yeah, I think when you make ego decisions like that, it's it's ultimately going to be quite difficult for you. And also, I think marketing agencies, because we are marketing PR-led, we all like a bit of positive PR and people yeah. to perceive that we're doing well because if you're perceived to be successful, it's easier to get clients, isn't it? Yeah. Social so proof, it's yeah. sort of, um, yeah, social proof. So it sort of goes hand in hand. So those awards and public speaking and all those sort of things, it obviously helps, but you don't want to get caught in the trap of look at me, look how great I'm doing and then have that backwards anxiety that, you know, maybe you've overexpanded yourself and maybe this month's been a bit quiet, which is going to happen. And you don't want to put that pressure on yourself to sort of keep up appearances. I think that's a really important point. Yeah, that's a hard path to kind of come back from. And it can be quite tempting in the early stages because you get in, uh, emails all the time saying, do you want to come to this award? Do you want to come to this award? And I just think with awards, look, if you have to pay to get the award or pay in, in any way to get any recognition, I would not wipe my ass with it. Honestly, I think if it's a client awarded thing or if somebody's voted for it, perfectly, perfectly fine. There's plenty of good award ceremony out there. But just having a crystal trophy that you can get for 10 quid that on your wall means absolutely nothing unless you've got something tangible behind it of really happy clients that are happy to refer you, real solid case studies and tangible results because that's what matters really. The image of being an award-winning agency, which every Tom, Dick and Harry is these days, it, it, it's becoming less special because so many people have got it. I would prefer to just have 15, 20, 25 clients that are real strong brand advocates of what we do. That's better than an award. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you want brand advocates. You don't, you will grow your business by having lots of brand advocates and lots of clients which say you're really good and could you introduce me to any uh, anyone else? And you will grow your agency like that. I mean, personally, I've had to not produce as much content at the moment because I don't have time because mm. we're onboarding so many clients and doing so many good things that I've had to sort of move myself away from that. So, you know, sometimes you can't do as much PR or marketing for your, your own business or yeah. for yourself because you're too busy actually doing, yeah. I think, sometimes. It's that cobbler's shoes, I think, all the time. You can kind of neglect your own content creation and, th and that pipeline. And the best thing is, yeah, the pipeline's great when the clients start coming on board. But then if you're spending all your time onboarding, that pipeline is really quickly emptying. And by the time you get to the end of it, you think, oh, shit, nothing's coming now. I have to go back out and start the process again. So there needs to be that fine balance of having that underlying scheduling of constant drip-fed content through whatever channels you want, whether it be face-to-face -face networking whether it be content marketing and personal branding through LinkedIn or whether it be paid advertising, depending on what industry you're in. 
but there needs to be something there so that you are front of mind all the time and you're not having to scramble up that hill of awareness past all your competitors. Yeah, I think it's something you want to be in the subconscious. I mean, I've seen Lewis at so many different networking events where, you know, we're both obviously there to network. We're both there to meet potential clients. And we built relationships with people who have become friends who aren't going to be clients, but they could refer us into clients. You know, that's how networking works. And as a startup or a smaller business starting out, it's important to get out of your office and get out of your bubble and go and meet people because that's where you're going to meet people that are going to advocate you into working with them or working with people that they know because they go, you know, Lewis is a good guy. You know, he'll do a good job for you. And then suddenly you're filling up your pipeline a bit better. I think it makes it a little bit more real as well, because when you're posting content, and particularly on LinkedIn, when you see people posting great content, it's great and you'll engage with it. But unless you can really understand that person and you've met them face to face, it doesn't have as much of an emotional pull. If I've met Scott and I've spoken to him at length for two hours in an event and I go home and I see a piece of content he puts out, I think, oh, yeah, that, that really matches his values. So I understand that this is a really genuine post. So I'm more likely to engage with that. So having those two sides of putting out great content, but also be in front of mind, there's, there's no good substitute for like um, a handshake and, and a face-to-face conversation and a coffee. That, that vital part, particularly in the early days, because you have to get your face out there. You have to get your name out there, particularly in marketing, because it's one of the most saturated arenas out there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we've both probably picked a poor industry to, to go into <laughs> in the sense that everyone seems to have a Facebook account and everyone yeah. seems to have an opinion on it, um, which, which really, I don't know, personally, it riles me up. I'm sure it does rile you up as well yeah. that, you know, everyone has used social media or um, typed some words into Google before. Yeah. Um, so they seem to think that they know how to market or what good marketing is or whatever. I mean, I, I can't really compare it to another sort of outsourced function you know you wouldn't question an accountant or a no. um, hr advisor or a whatever on what they do but in marketing it seems to be everyone has a you know you've got managing directors or hrds or whoever going um, is this are we sure this is the right way to do it or have yeah. you thought about this it's, it's mad because like you say it's one of those industries where people will sit and, and blatantly just talk shit to you uh, and you're expected to, to smile and nod and have to let them down gently because we prefer the approach of it. If someone's talking shit, we'll tell them, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Marketing and social media marketing in particular is not an add-on service. You see people pushing out who, who work in, like, health and safety and stuff. Yeah, but I'll also look after your social media. What you're talking about, that's so damaging to brands. To kind of it, That's what devalues the whole industry, that when we speak to people, they don't have a value. So when you tell them the price, they don't appreciate that because they just think, oh, it's just posting something. How hard can that be? It's just messing around on Facebook. And you meet people all the time that think they've been advertised and they've just been pressing boost posts and they might as well have just been setting the money on fire, honestly. They, they think they know what they've been doing, but in reality, because of these platforms that are always evolving, you don't know what you don't know. Oh, it's, it's absolutely mad, isn't it? I think if you, if you don't understand the landscape of what you're getting into, so when you're saying, I'm coming in here to deliver X amount of new revenue for you, you will suddenly take it a lot more seriously. Mm. And I'm asking for less than 10% of that for my fee to provide this for you. You go, yeah, I'd pay that. Yeah. And when you move it along from, you know, your brother's uncle's cousin just playing around with your Facebook page or trying to run a Google ad, which does not work because they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Leave this stuff to the experts who've done it. I mean, personally, I've been in marketing for over eight years Mm. and have grown up with social media. Yeah. And have studied it, have implemented it, started my own business, sold it and worked as a consultant doing it myself. Mm. So, you, you know, you should be trusted to do it, you know. And I think, you know, Lewis, you definitely agree with that. So, yeah. 
Definitely. And it, it does rile me a little bit when you when you see these people who come out and they're suddenly, they've never done a day's work in it in their life and they, they turn around and they're an expert and a coach and you can buy this ebook and this 77-page ebook for $777 and it's just shit because they just think it's an easy in because it is really easy for anybody to watch a YouTube video or read an ebook, pull a lot of acronyms like CTR and ROI there and go into somebody that's over 40, over 50, over 60 in a certain industry that has no idea what they're talking about, recite those things and then they sound like they know what they're doing. But the problem is with these people, that's why there's such a high churn rate because they'll go on, they'll get paid, they'll realize they don't know what they're doing. And then that client has then got a really negative approach of digital. So like 80% of the people that approach us come to us saying, had this, had this person, he did it for a couple of hundred quid, uh, absolutely flopped, don't trust anything now. So you have to put your arm around them. And that's why the kind of start a package and then scale up process helps because they're not having to shell out five, six, seven grand up front on the hope that it might work. It's we understand your pain points, but what you have to do now is actually listen because what you did before was make your decision based off price or convenience or who was the youngest in the room. And that's not how you pick a, a marketing partner. No. Um, I mean personally when I, I joined MBA a little over a year ago and I probably spent six to eight weeks learning the business before I was marketing the business in order to try and, you know, bring in clients or, you know, convert candidates in a more successful way. Because I didn't know the business, I didn't know the industry, I had to learn it. And it would have been crazy to try and implement something before actually getting the groundings of the industry and of that business. Yeah. And that's like why you say when you work with people initially, you're going to say, look, you're going to lose money for the first few months. Yeah. But if you commit to it, you're going to come out the other side with a more attractive business um, where you're going to get inbound leads. Yeah. I mean, we had a lead this week which came in because people wanted to work with MBA, mm. not because they wanted a recruitment partner or an RPO service they wanted to work with us as a business yeah which was such a, a positive step um personally that they were aware of the brand aware yeah. of what we stood for and wanted to work with us not that they you know i'm sure it'd be the same for you what what you want to get to is people want to work with Lightbulb media and lewis not they need some support with marketing it's, it's a big difference isn't it yeah i think that's the core with content marketing and that's the beauty of inbound leads people will waste hours all the time doing cold emails cold calls uh, and generally just annoying people hoping that one or two slip through the net i remember one of my first jobs was sales door knocking they said expect 98 no's and two yeses and that that was how it's just drilled into salespeople. but if you actually just get your marketing strategy right it makes your salespeople's lives a lot easier because they're closing that already warm deal. But the thing about inbound is nobody's going to call you up and tell you it's shit. They just won't use you. They'll just use somebody else. But that is where it has like, it's really, I think it is the best channel for any business because there's so much competition out there of people probably within a 10 mile radius that do exactly what you do. But how on earth are you going to differentiate, differentiate yourself if it's not within your branding and the information you're putting out and the language you're using? What you do is irrelevant. You should make them want to work with you as a person, as you said, pre-sell them so that when they do approach your business, you're not having to do three, four, five coffees and all this discovery. They, they are pre-sold, right? Where do I sign? This is what I want to do. This is how much money I've got. I really love your approach and you're not testing the waters with it. Yeah. And also if you're doing that initially, you're already giving out value. That's why personal branding is so important mm. um, because content marketing is giving something for free. Totally. So people, you know, I get approached um, all the time people ask asking asking me to do their marketing for them yeah because i'm good at marketing and they can see the results that i bring to them send them my way yeah well <laughs> the, the, I, have to, I have to re-divert these people towards yeah. people like lewis who uh, can actually provide it yeah but yeah it's just showcasing what you can do and i think a lot of people are scared to go and do that yeah i think i think personal branding as well particularly in the the 
B2B world is is really underutilized. A lot of companies are missing out on massive chunks of, of revenue just by kind of harnessing their staff and saying, you can't really say this and you can't really express your, your true opinion. But what they forget is each member of staff within that large team or corporation will resonate with a different demographic who are reading that. So you're going to be pulling so many people in. So rather than you singing about your company and brand values, you've got a hundred potential people all singing about a different one that all have the potential to pull different kinds of people into your brand. But instead, people just pull out a document and say, you can't say this, you can't say that, that's not compliant. And they're missing a trick. Yeah, well, they, they, might, they might not get any negative back from it, but they're certainly not getting anything positive back from social media. Exactly. I mean, if you, you're trying to say what, what kind of uh, picture someone can have and whether it needs a grey filter or not, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What matters is allowing your employees to have a voice and actually say something. I mean, as long as you're not racist, sexist, you know, yeah, all, of, all, all, you know, <laughs> use your common sense and, and don't say something which could negatively impact your business. But yeah. to be able to have an opinion, you have to be willing to offend someone in yeah. order to speak a truth. Totally. Because if you ever say, say anything which has any merit or value, I'm sure you'd be able to offend someone by having that opinion where someone will disagree with you. There's always someone out there that's going to be offended. But look, being offended is a choice. At the end of the day, there's always going to be people that don't like what you say, no matter how PC you try to be. But the worst thing you can do is be beige, because when you're beige, nobody really has a strong opinion either way. So what you're not going to get is engagement. Engagement breeds reach, which breeds exposure, which breeds brand credibility. So it's all a kind of channel funneling down to what your actual end goal is. But people would rather just play it safe and say, look, these are the guidelines that we need. We need to say that we're diverse. We need to say we're inclusive. We need to say that we're forward thinking. But it's just words. At the end of the day, content marketing needs to be kind of human to human. Speak to people as you would speak to them yeah, as of a sat opposite now. Yeah, I mean, in MBA, we, we've started doing it um, with this podcast. We're also, we're also interviewing internal staff. Mm. Now, I want to speak to Matt, our CEO, just as much as I want to speak to, you know, the new admin person. Yeah. You know, I want to speak to everyone at all levels within the organization to help them give a voice so that their colleagues understand and see the value in what they do yeah. as much as, you know, the long-term future of the business and, you know, higher level projects it's important for your employees to have a voice and you know i gave a talk at linkedin about uh three months ago and it was talking about personal branding versus employer branding yeah and what is the challenge you know of allowing your staff to create personal brands if they create an employer brand they're more visible in the market and you know they're they're more open to be approached by yeah. recruiters and you know have their head turned to go yeah. and work somewhere else my argument is that those people are your biggest brand advocates I agree. and they're always going to be associated with your business and also if you reward them correctly and you support them to do this it's going to have to be an incredible offer to make them want to leave to go for another opportunity because they know that that is not the norm in most organizations yeah what's your thoughts on personal branding in that regard yeah i think i think businesses will happily sit there and they'll sit around the table and say right we need to have this outgoing this outgoing this campaign this marketing campaign and they completely overlook that there's probably 50 people sat behind them that could do a 10 times better job uh, at 10 times the pace because it's all about leveraging trust when you're trying to bring people into your business so why would you not have your team talking about how great it is to work there and what brand values it really has from the horse's mouth rather than you just spouting it out in some dry kind of brand deck that nobody's really going to read anyway because it's not coming from a human being. It's just a, a little bit a little bit corporate and sterile. So I think a, a lot of marketing as well, the whole goal of it will be get people through the door, get them sold to, and then incentivize them to leave review and become a brand advocate. Use your staff. 
it's free. Like there's tools on LinkedIn where you, even when you, you make a post, you can notify your staff that they can engage with it and contribute on it. There's so many tools you can do to engage your staff and you, your turnover is going to be better. You're going to get lower churn. It, I don't see any negatives to it. It's more context, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm much more engaged by organizations that I can understand the business by seeing what the employees talk about. Yeah. Um, so I work a lot with our clients on their employer branding, employer value propositions. And the biggest challenges for that is when the client has really slick marketing. It's really good. And, you know, for the clients, it looks amazing. You go, what's it actually like to work there? And you can't find anything because they've not allowed anyone to say anything. And oh, that will go, Ooh, you know, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. But the organizations that actually just come out up front, they own what's not so great. They, they allow their employees to have their own voice and be an individual. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that always provide the biggest value to the organization as well. Yeah, I think that ties into like the personal branding as well, because a massive thing to engage a community now is vulnerability. People are sick of hustle culture. People are sick of the I'm always on and I work 24-7 and we're absolutely smashing it. People now know it's bullshit. People are now we're in the age where mental health is so important and people to really, really huge subject. So I think people are a lot more woke to kind of, I can't believe I just used the word woke. Christ. Jesus. <laughs> I think they're just a lot, a lot more aware of uh, what they need to do to engage a community. And if anyone sat there thinking your business is smashing it and it's got no weaknesses, you're deluded. You need to embrace the weaknesses, be open with people and let them suggest how to make it better. You have to involve other people in fixing your internal problems. You can't have the answers to everything. Yeah, without question. I think having that openness and vulnerability to your content breeds better context to it. Personally, I've talked about personal issues I've had, um, which impact me as an individual. And those have been some of the most viral pieces of content I've written, purely because no one else could have written it. You know, it it was my words, my story. Yeah. And those are the things which people want to hear. They don't want to hear, I've seen this and I think that because yeah. you're you're documenting, not creating um, something new, which adds to the topic. Yeah. I think it's important that you have the responsibility to not pretend that everything's okay. I, I did the, the same thing and I did a post just about just about having anxiety and just as a general business owner and how it doesn't really go away, but you can suppress it, but it's always going to come back. And it's just having that open vulnerability for other people. If one person reads that and thinks, yeah, actually, it's okay what I'm feeling now as well, whether they are just starting off or whether they're sat in a C-suite in a, in a blue chip, it doesn't really matter. If that helps one person, then that's a good thing. So I think if you have a reach and you, you can get exposure, it's important to push the issues that matter rather than just trying to blast people with sales messages. Nobody gives a shit about your sales message. Yeah, I mean, a good sales message is that I like you as a person. Yes. If you if you like someone as a person, you're more likely to do business with them, regardless if they've got the greatest results. If I think you're an ass, yeah. I'm not going to work with you. I think it's an interesting point to touch on anxiety again. Now, it's unbelievable the amount of people I've already spoken to that anxiety is something which they contend with. But if you actually think about it, it's very logical. Um, Anxiety is very heavily linked to stress. If you're a business owner, if you're a director of a business, you are probably responsible for budget. You're probably responsible for employing people or, you know, making sure your rent or your mortgage is paid on time and business is difficult. Anxiety is always going to play a part. Yeah. Anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's managed. But yeah, how how is, is someone who's started a business and sort of is responsible for you know the financial well-being of that business how do you manage anxiety because there's going to be those moments you know when when you're getting your tax bill at the end of the year yeah yeah i think it's really it's really difficult because i'm never going to sit here and say i'm over it now it is like a, a coping mechanism some days i'm fine and i think really positive we're absolutely smashing it 
And some days it literally is just your mindset or a chemical imbalance where you think, oh my God, this is shit. What's the point? Why am I even doing this? I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. The imposter syndrome kicks in. And it might just be that I'll look across the desk at someone else in the co-working space and they'll just G you up. I was just talking to Alice before and she just said, yeah, whenever you get a bit stressy, go out, have a walk, have some food and then breathe, come back, reassess it. So it's important not to make snap decisions because anxiety can make you do that. We do live in an age of comparison and have to move quick because uh, this other company's doing really well. So I, I need to make that decision and I need to hire two more people as well. And that is so, so detrimental. So it's really important. The first step in it is just being self-aware that knowing what your triggers are and, and kind of preempting them and then manage them actively rather than trying to suppress them away and pretend it's not happening because it will come and go. But if you manage it, then it, it, you can actually use it to your benefit. Yeah, without question. I mean, it's just being aware of that. Yeah. Um, I think, thankfully, we are the generation coming through now which are prepared to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, talking about mental health 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it, it's not something which you'd want to openly come out with in the workplace because, you know, the the old concept of that is it could be perceived as weakness. And, yeah. you know, are you, are you still OK to be doing your job? Yeah. Um, when there should be, you know, as much stigma or less stigma on that as, you know, a, a physical injury. Totally. You know, if not more. Yeah. You know, your mental health is the most important thing to look after. You know, personally, I work with a life coach now, which has just been transformative for me yeah. in the sense that it's just sort of given me that balance, given me the correct perspective on what's going on, both po positive and negative, and also given me a, you know, a framework to, to manage it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's what you were sort of, alluding to there lewis you know i i've um built really good relationships with people who've talked about their mental health openly with me yeah. and you know there's sort of business opportunities come off the back of that because you've connected on a human level not just on a what you do and how much does it cost exactly yeah forget the small talk i think it's really important to like you say develop those bonds and, and business will come because that, that's the nature of networking you're not it's like turning up on a first date and expecting to sleep with somebody you won't just go up to a network and shake hands give them the card and say right i'll expect your call you have to work and nurture those relationships and not everybody's going to be right for you but if you can connect on that kind of deeper level where you kind of get on the same wavelength with your way of thinking then it's a hell of a lot easier to do business with rather than starting the business straight away and then you're kind of trying to scope each other out and kind of say this and how far can we take it and what kind of ideas, where, where's the limit lie with this? It's important to just be as open and transparent and honest as you can, I think. And having that fresh eyes perspective as a coach, I always think my, my own worst enemy is my own brain. And when you're constantly trapped in there making snap judgments based off yourself, I think it's really tough to step back and, and think logically, whereas somebody could come over not knowing anything about it, look at it and change one thing and it could transform the whole outlook of that project or that campaign. So I think it is important to, especially if you're a solopreneur, which is another weird term I don't really like, but if you're starting a business on your own or you're in a very small team or you're working from home, yes, you might be more productive working from home, but you need to schedule out time to be around other human beings and bounce ideas off people because that's how businesses grow by getting other people's viewpoints that think a different way to you. Yeah, without question. I mean, personally, as a marketer, I felt the need to do that anyway, to get out of my business and go and speak to other marketers. Yeah. Now, you know, within the business, that might not seem like a core activity that needs to happen. Yeah. But if I'm going to keep coming up with cool ideas, which are actually going to have an impact, I need to speak to other people that are creative. Yeah. If you're creative, if you just sit on your own, you'll go crazy. Totally. Because... You need to speak to someone else who you respect as a, another creative who can go, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, my God, do not do that, Lewis. That is a terrible <laughs> idea. You, you need both sides. Why have you let me do that so many times? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could have held me back. Yeah. Well, I think you do need that balance. And I think that 
I want to I touch on the point of creativity. Yeah. So I think that creativity in marketing is the most underappreciated skill. Definitely. So I'm sure I could learn how to be the PPC, SEO, whatever website building this, you know, but actually being creative and coming up with a concept that yeah. will work, something which will engage your target audience. I think that's the hardest thing because that's concept. Mm. The rest of it is delivery. You yeah. can get, you can employ people to help you deliver things and they don't need to think, they just need to do. Yeah. Creativity is the hard bit. Also, that's why I think most businesses would profit from working with an agency or an individual coming in with fresh ideas Yeah. Um, because they've got that outside perspective and also they're trying to be creative yeah, I and think innovate. That's, that's where the split is with, with strategy as well. When people come to you, they normally come to you reactively and saying, right, shit, we need to make money. So often they say, right, here's some money, switch, switch some ads on. Hold on, what, what, who are we targeting? What are we doing? What's the long-term plan? What's the short-term plan? What are the goals? And people don't put a lot of credence on strategy a lot of the time because if it's not out and on paper and tangible and it's just ideas, they think, well, why am I paying for ideas? I could do ideas myself, much like social media. I can do social media myself. And it's one of those things that kind of needs to change because a good strategy is so, so important because you need to know what you're aiming for before you start doing anything. Yeah, well, I think the creativity leads to the ideas. The ideas leads to the strategy and then you're executing strategy. But you're not executing anything effectively when you're putting out ads and you're running campaigns before you've holistically looked at the concept of why and how and what you're doing. Yeah, um, That's the creative aspect, which the really good marketers and advertisers know. Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of fear around creativity as well, because people think you have to take it to that level of, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to dress in like a onesie and run around with a dildo strapped to my head just so people take notice. And it's like, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is think a little bit differently about what other people in your industry aren't doing especially professional services, yeah, yeah. dry as a bone, dry as a bone. You do not need which to is do great, Which yeah. is great for you because it means that you can go 10, 15% above the line of what everyone else does and it looks the most innovative thing ever. You know, myself and Lewis's marketers, it's really hard to stand out because everyone's creative and everyone's great. Yeah. So for us to look good at marketing, you have to be really good and to get some really big viral moments to sort of validate that, you know, you might actually be good. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're in a dry industry, you're a solicitor's firm and you do whatever, yeah. you can come up with some concept which is 10, 15% above board and go with it. And it's not going to ruin your reputation. I mean, a lot of our clients at MBA and people within um, my organization, they go, oh, we'd like to do this, but, we, you know, we can't do what you do because, you know, it's so extreme. It's like, <laughs> well, maybe if I'm 30% above the line, 40% above the line, yeah. I only need you to go to five or 10 above the line. Yeah. Because I need to do that in order to get noticed because of what I do. Definitely. Whereas, you know, if you're this dry business in a dry industry, you know, only a small amount of creativity is needed to deliver great results. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there because they are the ones guaranteed that will be at every networking event. You'll have your HR, you'll have your solicitor, you'll have your accountant. They'll all sit there and they'll all say, I want more business, I want more leads. And you literally start waving at them going, well, we could do social media, why don't we do some animations? What about video? Anything about content marketing? Oh, God forbid, no. We want to do exactly the same thing we've always done with a bit of print marketing and a bit of word of mouth and then just hope it happens. The, the, the problem is, demographics are changing now and yes, you might have great relationships with the people that are 40, 50, 60, but they're not going to have the buying power for much longer. So you've got to be engaging these younger demographics in ways that they respond best. Yeah. And I think it starts with having a concept which is slightly different to everyone else. Yeah. And actually carving out what is your niche and what is it that's different about your business. And currently internally within MBA, we're having conversations about 
how we want to strategically position the business from, from where we currently are, just so that it completely reflects how we work as a business, what our tone of voice is, and all those sort of things. And it's, it's really important considerations. Um, and I think most businesses don't do that. If you've got a good idea and people respond well to it, then put money behind it. Put yeah. a campaign around something which is already shown to work. Yeah. Don't put money behind things which have not proven any results yet. I think that's just madness. Exactly. It's about streamlining your budget. And you can't do that until, like you say, you know who, who you are as a business in your own tone of voice. Because we, we operate in a way that a few, other, a few people have said, oh, it's a bit kind of abrasive because what I don't want to do is sit, waste time having four coffees with someone and then they tell me their budget's 50 quid. Why would I waste that time doing that? You need to have open and honest conversations. Let's get rid of this fluff and just say, what do you want to achieve? How much have you got to achieve it? Right. Let's think outside the box. How averse to you a risk? How creative do you want to get? What kind of content have you got? What kind of content do we want to create? What would you be comfortable creating? You have to have those open and honest conversations and just get rid of all that shit that's been around for too long that is. It's so kind of archaic, that 80s and 90s advertising mentality now. You need to be moving quick. Strategy's great, but like you say, on the flip side of that, if you spend six months trying to find this content campaign, that piece of content, it's going to be irrelevant by the time you get it to market. Well, the thing here, it just makes me laugh when people sit around having content meetings and yeah. strategy meetings and it goes on for three months. You can it's write like, something. You, you, yeah, <laughs> do something. You know, put a post out, put a video together. Yeah. You know, um, and also I, I would argue the fact that, you know, say if you're creating the world's best video, right, yeah. you spend 10 grand on this video, which is, the, you know, the slickest corporate video you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. But people don't know you for that and you haven't got any budget to. You haven't built them put, into it. You haven't b built them into it. So when you put this 10 grand video out there and wow. he gets four views. Yeah. Because they go, all oh, right, that's really good. Yeah. But no one knows who you are. Yeah. You just wasted your money. It's not because the video is rubbish, because no. the video is really good. It's just the fact that you haven't engaged your market and actually haven't tested any content out before you put it out there. Yeah. It might be that you've put completely the wrong video together yeah. um, because you haven't talked to your target demographic. So I think it's a big learning curve for people when they understand that you can put out micro content, test things. And I think just starting that's the important point. Oh, yeah. It's getting over that initial fear of thinking, God, am I going to be interested? Are people going to give a shit what I think? Yes, you are going to be interested to somebody. So stop worrying. Put something out. See what happens. If you've got kind of no algorithm credibility and, and you've not been putting out stuff consistently, yes, your first few posts will bomb unless they're unbelievable. You might get lucky. But you have to build that credibility up over time by producing consistent content. And the thing you posted on day one that might have flopped, you post three months later when you've got a captive audience and it might absolutely fly. So it's about constantly testing again. Did we post it on a Monday? Which should we try it on a Thursday this time? Test, repurpose it, test it again. Listen to your data. Your data does not lie to you. Yeah, yeah, without question. I mean, I started my content marketing journey on LinkedIn about February last year. And the first few things that I tried, I thought they were quite good pieces of content, but they probably lacked context or, you know, my, I didn't have an engaged audience at that point. Yeah. Um, people didn't know me for writing these sort of things. Yeah. And slowly but surely the audience gets more engaged as you understand the market better. Yeah. And, you know, if I get a post which does 50 likes on it from my perspective, that's a flop in my book. Yeah. For me. But that's good because I've probably learned something why it didn't work. And my yeah. ego is not so big that I don't mind if a, a post doesn't go viral. Yeah. Um, you want to learn and actually do that, but you're not going to learn by producing one piece a month and not putting it out there. You need to put out content at a decent scale. I mean, I don't think just blog on everything that you see and flip, make sure you post Crap. every day or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's complete bullshit. And don't yeah. listen to people like Gary Vee who tell you to <laughs> produce six, seven pieces of content a day. You're on your breakfast. Of, you know, of, get a grip. 
every, everything you're doing. It needs to be strategic in terms yeah. of what you put out there, but you do need to test what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's the goal. Like, you, you can get engagement, but is it the right engagement? Yeah, you can ask people what their fucking favorite biscuit is. Fantastic, you might get 400 comments, but who's actually looking at that thinking, oh, digestive person's my next marketing agency partner? Probably not. So test it. Maybe use a bit of shitty content like that to develop that captive audience and that reach and then start pushing more business and sales related stuff out, but never actually make it a sales post. The minute you start dropping prices in for X pounds, I can do X, Y, Z. I just, I just shut off. I'm, I'm closed down and I know a lot of people are the same because no one's interested in what you do. They, they want free value. People are selfish. Give me something. Make me laugh. Make me happy. Make me cry. It's crazy. I mean, I think that people just want something for nothing straight away. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I, I get five, 10, 15 messages a day from people that try and sell their services to me every day. Yeah. And it's not like you can't see what I talk about or what I think or what my business does. Yeah. You could easily open that with something personalized about me or my business. Yeah. And I'll go, all right, they've had a look who I am and, you know, they're trying to meet my needs. Yeah. But they just drop in their SEO pitch and, you know, we're leaders in this and whatever. And I've developed a quite a fun response now. <laughs> there we um, go. <laughs> which is i just i just say do you not like foreplay <laughs> and the concept behind that is that you know buy me a drink first you know i'm not going to yeah. go home with you now yeah you know buy me a drink have a chat with me understand who i am understand what my business does and actually get to know me yeah because i can't actually understand the value in what you do by you just projecting yeah. towards me I can't understand it because I, I think don't know it's just you. lazy. It is just lazy, really lazy. Yeah. Let's throw shit at a wall and see what sticks, which is why the beauty of inbound comes into play. But you have to be patient for it because inbound, you're going to get to that stage where you have put out that consistent content. And then that message is not going to be from someone trying to sell you something. It's going to be from one of your clients saying, can I, can I talk to you about this? Really interested. All the, all the people that you get, a lot of our clients come from a message that says, oh, I've been following your stuff for online on LinkedIn for a little while. And I do, do not know who this person is. They're one of the, like, the kind of lurkers that just yeah, sit in the background. There's a lot of lurkers. So if, if you're a lurker, could you please reveal yourself at some <laughs> point? It's, it's really an, an, an art disarming is the word. But this is the thing. People get hung up. that oh, I've only got a certain amount of views or I've only got a certain amount of engagement. If you're getting the views, unlike kind of Facebook advertising where impressions don't really mean anything unless you're doing brand awareness, LinkedIn view, like you say, it's a predominantly kind of b2b focused platform where you can reach any decision maker in any big corporate so any one of those views could be that person but don't get disheartened if you get 30 40 50 views on your first post it doesn't matter but you have to keep building that up and, and understanding that it's a process of hitting those touch points a lot of times and depending on what you're selling it's going to take more touch points so if you're selling something really expensive expect to have to put in four or five months of work nurturing that audience before they'll approach you and you can actually then sell to them and they're the clients you want at the end of the day, aren't they? Totally. Okay, I think that was a good point to um, end on there. Um, Lewis, thank you very much for coming on the show today. What have we covered? We covered incubator schemes, how you get support, funding, office space to get yourself set up. I think we've put the marketing world to rights. <laughs> and um, we've talked about a little bit of content there, haven't we, as well? Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Hope everyone has enjoyed this podcast today. There'll be another one out next week. So, yep, um, let us know what you think. Drop uh, myself or Lewis a message, um, what you think about today's podcast. And yeah, any questions, give us a shout. And thanks for listening. Thank you.